Welcome to For the Record with Daniel Fontaine, where we focus on civic and urban issues impacting New Westminster and beyond. For the Record puts it on the record, when and where it counts. Now let's begin. This podcast is going to be focusing in on, over the coming months, a number of interesting topics, and we're going to bring on some some interesting guests as well. And we're going to start off with uh, Councillor Paul Minhas from the City of New Westminster. He's going to be joining me in a few moments. We're going to have uh, kind of a look back at City Council over the last year, the uh, first year in office. Lots of topics to talk about, including the uh, appointments to uh, Metro Vancouver, the Royal City moniker disappearing from the city's brand, the Crime and Safety committee that never came about. We're going to discuss train whistle cessation. If you live in the city of New Westminster, you know what I'm talking about. The Centennial Community Center is about to be demolished and hauled off to the dump. Why? Let's uh, focus in a little bit on that. As well, we're going to discuss downloading costs from senior orders of government. What's it costing you if you live in the city of New Westminster for costs that were passed on from the province and the federal government? We're also almost a year away from a big snowstorm that uh, took place last November. There was a call for a snow summit. We're going to get an update on that snow summit as well as discussing the Samson 5, the uh, museum on the Fraser River waterfront in New Westminster, had an oil spill this summer. We're going to explore that topic. Parties, block parties, as well as the Patello party. Councillor Minhas and I will be giving uh, everyone a bit of an update on the status on those two issues, as well as pay hikes for municipal politicians and the Citizen Assembly, which is now recruiting for some folks to participate. So lots to talk about, lots of interesting uh, uh, discussion points if you live in New Westminster. So sit back and enjoy. I'm joined this afternoon with my special guest and colleague from New Westminster City Council, Councillor Paul Minhas. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Daniel. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So uh, this is the inaugural podcast. I'm so pleased to have you on the inaugural podcast, Paul. We have a ton of interesting topics to talk about. We're going to be focusing this inaugural podcast on kind of a year in review because it's literally been almost about a year ago that uh, we were elected. We were in the middle between actually getting elected and being sworn in. Sworn in date was actually, I believe, November 7th, 2022. So why don't we jump on into it because we have a ton of great topics and interesting things to talk about. But I'm going to start out first, perhaps at a bit of a higher level. Paul, you've never been a politician. You have followed politics. You've watched municipal stuff very closely. I remember the first time you and I talked about you running and you were like going, I can't believe I'm doing this. So a year later, how's it been? <laughs> uh, great question, Daniel. Um, uh, never did I ever think that I was going to run uh, for city or uh, politics or any municipal government or uh, anything to do with politics. Uh, it has been a blink of an eye. That's how fast this year has gone by. Uh, very interesting. Um, absolutely uh, captivating in a lot of different ways. And um, I uh, will suggest everyone out there that's listening, Please follow municipal politics. It is very, very important and get involved, please. You are a city council like I in the city of New Westminster. So just to be clear for our listeners, uh, you, you've never run before. This was your first time running and, and, and walking into that chamber. 
Any surprises for you in the last year? Or did you just like sit at your desk and everything was just super smooth? Uh, a lot of surprises, a uh, lot of learning curve. Um, from day one, I remember I did not even know how to turn the mic on in the chamber. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough where yourself, you showed me how everything worked and the so-called Robert's rule rules. Um, I was very lucky because um, I didn't get shown anything. And uh, it was uh, basically learning as, as I went along. And uh, it was right from the start, actually, even before uh, the first day on inauguration day, uh, November the 7th. So it was um, a lot of learning and uh, fascinating as well. I will say, Paul, and I know I perhaps am a bit biased, but I have watched you over the last year for someone who had never been inside the chamber and never been elected official before. I mean, you picked it up so quickly. I mean, you, you are now um, uh, very much uh, a pro in my opinion. You, you know how this stuff works. So, so let's jump on into it because you did kickstart the first inaugural meeting about a year ago. Uh, you introduced the first, I believe, first motion uh, on the floor. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, I was the first one to bring the first motion on November 7th, and it was from Metro Vancouver, and um, um, I thought uh, it was a great motion. It did get defeated. Now, what was the motion? Maybe, sorry. Let's it see. was uh, to appoint uh, yourself as Councillor Fontaine for the Metro Vancouver uh, board, and um, too bad it got defeated, and I know uh, we were looking for representation on different levels, uh, especially uh, when we talk about uh, diversity and inclusion and equity and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought it was very important in, in my mind that appoint somebody that is of Indigenous background and how appropriate that would be. And uh, um, But um, it didn't turn out the way I wanted. Hmm. Because we've heard council well before you and I arrived in council talk for years about the importance of equity, diversity, inclusivity, and talking about representation and and uh, support for Indigenous people. We've heard that countless times, uh, both before and, and after you and I got elected. So it did, I must say, surprise me somewhat that when you put that motion forward to appoint myself as the, uh, I believe, the only other Indigenous person on Metro Vancouver other than one other representative from the Tawasan First Nation, and yet, after all those words, after all those beautiful words that were said in council, the vote was five to two on party lines where they did not uh, want to support to move. And, and who did they end up at the end of the day? Who got to uh, make it? It must have been someone, I'm assuming, with some equity, diversity or inclusivity background or who, who ended up making it to Metro Vancouver? Well, um, uh, it was uh, the mayor himself, uh, Patrick Johnstone, that... Uh, was appointed. Um, my belief, again, the fact of the matter that if we are going to look into or under the lens of uh, equity, inclusion, diversity, anti-racism, um, it has to be real. It cannot just be uh, a conversation piece, and yet we do not follow through with that. Um, it has to be for the right reasons. And uh, New West had an opportunity. Um, I think, Paul, actually, to be clear on the record, because this is for the record, you tried twice. You actually tried to appoint me as the alternate to the mayor on Metro Vancouver, and even that motion got defeated. 
Very true. Um, uh, thank you for reminding me on that one. Um, and it got defeated, like you said, the second time. Um, but uh, if we are as people, as elected officials in the city, uh, going to talk about it, then we need to also follow through with the actions. And I think actions speak louder than words. And and uh, the community first, as well as the mayor, um, had a perfect opportunity twice uh, to appoint you, and yet they chose not to. And they followed along party lines, which uh, uh, did not make sense to me. So, Paul, when you and I were on the doorsteps last year, we heard a lot about an issue, and it was around the Royal City moniker and the removal of that Royal City moniker from the city brand. Um, what ended up happening, happening with that? Because I believe it was a report that came to council. Uh, before we got elected, Daniel, as you know, um, uh, even one of the previous councillors had mentioned something about a, a grenade being thrown at the last minute. Um, I don't think it is right. Um, I don't think it's appropriate. Um, I don't think we should move forward with this. There's a lot of cost figure involved with this. Um, a lot of the people weren't, or the citizens of New West weren't, um, uh, there wasn't an open engagement of discussion with the people. And I think it is important that we have, we should have had a proper in, uh, engagement with the people, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, changing the Royal City moniker. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I do not agree with it whatsoever. Yeah, I believe if I uh, go back in my memory bank, I believe the report came back to council said that they are, I think it was a vote again of five to two, and they're going to uh, move forward with the rebrand. And I believe that staff indicated that the expense all in could be upwards of half a million dollars, which I think is perhaps even a bit conservative as a figure uh, in terms of the cost. And, and I know you and I both made the point publicly that those half a million dollars could be used to invest in things like sidewalks or other different uh, sidewalk repairs or installation, other, other uh, municipal programs that I know you and I heard about on the, on the, the doorstep were way more important to people than, than simply doing a rebrand, rebrand on the city. But we fought a good fight on that one. We lost that, that vote five to two. So Paul, um, Moving forward, uh, there was a motion I do recall you, I think you brought it forward on the crime and safety committee. I know that's important to you as a business owner downtown around crime and safety. So we put a motion forward. What happened? Well, as uh, like a lot of other motions, we got defeated 5-2. And uh, being in the downtown core uh, as a resident, as well as a business owner, um, since 2005, um, I know firsthand, uh, working day in, day out, seven days a week, um, the challenges that a lot of the residents and the business community faces on a daily basis. Um, when somebody's about to commit a crime or if there is uh, something uh, that is out of the ordinary uh, as far as uh, mental health is concerned or other challenges that uh, we face in the downtown core, um, these things don't just, uh, they just happen on their own. And, and it's very hard to quantify as to when the next situation is going to be. And having something like uh, a crime and safety committee would have helped us move forward a long way, along with the residents and the, 
business community with the help of the police. I fully agree. I obviously supported the Crime and Safety Committee. I'm still talking about it a year later that we don't have it. I think it would have played a very vital role and continue to play a vital role in allowing the citizens to have that interaction with City Hall, with people that are elected, to be able to hear from them around the impact of crime and public disorder on our streets. So I too share a disappointment that it was uh, it was defeated and that uh, Council never endorsed it. And uh, now we're looking at a situation where there's um, a crime and safety forum that you and I are hosting on November 8th. Um, so if you're listening to this podcast, either before or afterwards, we, we are holding a, a forum on November 8th. I believe over 170 or 180 people have registered for it already. Incredible response. Uh, absolutely true, uh, Councillor Fontaine. Uh, I have never heard uh, a response of this nature in the past. Uh, people are very curious. They have a lot of questions. And they're very, very glad that both yourself and myself, we're bringing it forward. And, and the people will have uh, a voice to ask these questions. Uh, we got three amazing panelists. Uh, we do have uh, the ex-police uh, chief, uh, Dave Jones, who was also uh, the chief constable for the transit police after he re- retired. Uh, we have Cash Heed, who was the police chief in West Vancouver, as well as the solicitor general, and at the present, <coughs> uh, a council member in Richmond. Uh, we also have a, previ- a previous um, police board member, Shirley Heafy, who has extensive knowledge uh, within the RCMP. Uh, I think we got three great panelists and people will have the opportunity to ask any kind of questions in regards to crime and safety. And I think this is a great step uh, that we are taking collectively uh, to listen to the people of New West uh, from three amazing panelists. And I'm looking forward to it. Well, if you are listening to this podcast before November 8th, the event will take place at the end of the key uh, in the evening, and you can check out the New West Progressives website. There is a link there. Uh, we did reconfigure the room, so we were sold out at 150, but we've gone back to the end of the key. They've rejigged the uh, table structure and the chairs, and we can now fit up to close to 200 people. So there might still be some tickets if you listen to this podcast, um, if you're interested in, in attending. I, I think the issue, Paul, of crime and safety has really hit a nerve in a community that for far too long has not felt like people have been listening, that its elected officials have not been listening to the issues of crime and safety. And with both you, uh, yourself and myself, we've, we've put that on the agenda. Uh, you're absolutely right again about that. Uh, every time, uh, even before I got elected myself or any other business uh, member of the community or any resident, even at the present, if we are or they were bringing something forward, it was always about misinformation, misleading, misguiding. I think um, there's different ways to address this. And I think one of the biggest thing uh, that I can say, it just starts with the fact as to why don't we just sit down and listen and, and get to the bottom of it. it. It cannot be just made up by one or two or five or ten or a hundred people. It's, it's a very, very big issue. And now it's not just a downtown issue. It's an uptown issue. It's a Queens Park issue. It's a, uh, um, uh, Heights West End issue. Uh, and it's spreading throughout the city. And I think it is very, very important that anybody um, that has any questions come out to this Crime and Safety Forum. Like uh, you were saying, we have a few more seats uh, that opened up. 
And it's important that we have these forums, in fact, but I'm being told that there are people in the community, some folks who perhaps aren't aligned politically with us, that are saying that these types of events should not happen, that these types of things should only happen if they're sanctioned by the city. You and I take a very opposing view to that. We believe it's our role, uh, both as elected officials, to actually hold these forums. In fact, it's the second town hall forum that we've held. We held another one in Queensborough on the issue of densification and, and, and encouraging council to support uh, the master planning process happening up at uh, the 22nd Street uh, station area. And I'm pleased to see that council finally endorsed that and we are moving forward with that. But it's important for us. You and I are fundamentally aligned on this in terms of allowing the public to come in and speak to us. That's why we've held these coffee um, events, the, the councillor cafes, where people can just drop in, grab a cup of coffee. They might have one or two issues and then they can take off. But for far too long, people have just not had that opportunity in the city of New Westminster. And I'm, I'm very pleased that at least in the last year, we've broken into that and, and opened up a window for them to speak. You're absolutely right. Again, uh, Councillor Fontaine, it, it's great to see when people come to these so-called councillor cafes or uh, councillor business cafes as well, um, including the two town hall forums, uh, the second one that we're going to be doing. Listening to the people is very, very important. Um, I think uh, giving them a voice to share their opinions as to what they want and how they want in the neighborhood uh, is equally important. And for far too long, um, it has always been a one-way street, according to the people. Mm -hmm. And I uh, know that firsthand as a resident, as well as a, a business person in the downtown community. So, uh, and I felt that way too. So I think uh, it is important that, uh, that we do more of this. We have a lot of other topics to talk about, but maybe to close this one off, I will say that there are even some folks on council, I believe, that don't even want to have public hearings. They don't even want to have public hearings to allow the public in to be able to comment on on the various initiatives. So what's your thoughts on that? It is our responsibility to listen to the people. We have been elected by the people for the people. And it is very, very important that we listen to the people. Um, and, and uh, you know, I got no problems uh, having these town hall forums or these little cafe meetings that we have with the people. Uh, I think it's a great thing and we should move forward and do more often. So train whistles, that uh, was not something that perhaps was on my radar, but it has definitely dominated a lot of the discussion. And when you and I uh, first got elected, I believe um, we were led to believe that the ability for the city to end train whistle, the blowing of the, the, the train whistles in places like Sapperton would not happen in this mandate. Give us an update. Where are we at with train whistles? Well, uh, I'm so glad to hear uh, it's finally moving forward. Uh, and uh, my God, what a positive note. Uh, and uh, within a year, we were able to bring this topic up for discussion. And within a year, we have already been moving forward to resolve this issue uh, that has been lingering uh, as a main issue for the residents of Sapperton. For how long? Uh, how long for years, uh, for decades, this has been ongoing. And in such a short period of time, within a year, uh, after yourself and myself, we brought it up, uh, we are able and we are in a position to finally resolve something for the residents of Sapperton. You know, uh, Kelter Van I I, I kind of chuckle a little bit when I talk about this, because first of all, 
it's a serious issue for people in the community um, for their mental health. There's a daycare there that the kids have to listen to the train whistle. So I don't want to diminish all of that. I'm going to come back to that moment. But there is a, a bit of levity to this issue because I remember going back to the campaign. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Kelsey Minas, but uh, former community first school trustee, uh, DBD, who lived in the area in Sapperton, when, when asked about this particular issue, her response was, why don't people just get triple glazed windows? Why don't they invest in triple glazed windows and then they won't be hearing the train whistle noise? And it was not an issue. She was dim diminishing and trying to kind of bring down the fact that this was an important issue. Yet we go fast forward a year ahead and now suddenly everybody wants to seem to talk about train whistles. Now it suddenly has become uh, an incredibly popular issue to talk about. And I'm glad that people are talking about it. I know you're glad. This We actually don't care who gets the credit on this. We just want those whistles to stop. Uh, it's not about who gets the credit. At the end of the day, it is getting things done uh, for the residents of our city. And in this case, whether it's the daycare, whether it's the residents in the neighborhood, even uh, the patients at the hospital, um, the doctors and all that, uh, I think the most important thing is that we are moving forward and we hopefully will have this resolved as soon as possible. Yeah, so we have put forward a number of motions, you and I. We've asked for budget uh, dollars to be allocated for the investment, for the capital, for the uh, train whistle cessation, etc. Let's fingers crossed that when we're here, uh, three years from now, heading back into the next election, there will be some good progress. I love that word, progress. Yes. On this file. So, Councillor, um, another topic uh, I know of great interest to the community is the Centennial Community Centre. And it's been deemed to be end of life, and I'm putting that in quotes. So it has been uh, deemed end of life, and, and hence the Centennial Community Centre is coming down. I can't tell you how many people raise their eyebrow when I tell them that, and they think I'm joking when I tell them that the Centennial Community Centre is coming down. A perfectly good building that with perhaps a little bit of a TLC and a bit of investment could have been going on for many more years. Your thoughts? This thing about end of life, it's uh, to me, it's hard to comprehend. Uh, certain buildings that should be end of life, uh, we are putting millions of dollars well, into. Well, as, as I've said, Councillor Minhas, they're end of life, but they get a new lease on life as soon as yeah, somebody deems yeah, it to be important. Uh, you nailed it uh, on the head. Uh, absolutely. They're getting a new lease of life, uh, whereas certain other buildings, in this case, the Centennial Lodge. Uh, Centennial Community Center. Centennial uh, Community Center. Um, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Put some money into it. Give it some love. And it can, it's a beautiful building to begin with, and yet it's end of life. It just doesn't make sense to me, especially in a city when we are lacking community spaces. But Kelter, Kelter Minhas, okay, you, let, let's cut to the chase here. So that Centennial Community Center is coming down. Please tell me something is going to be put in its place that will be better than a place where kids can recreate, people can do dance lessons. Please tell me something's going in the place of the Centennial Community Center after it's demolished. Uh, you know, after it's demolished, I'm sorry to say this, but there's going to be a few uh, parking spots as well as uh, a little bit of greenery um, uh, and a lane for the trucks uh, for unloading their chemicals. Um, like I said, it's a perfectly fine building, needed a little bit of money, definitely. 
we are spending a lot of money in the city on vanity projects. But I think uh, uh, this, uh, especially in a city, uh, when we are like I, like I was saying that we need places like uh, the Centennial Community uh, Center, uh, we could have absolutely saved it and repurposed it for something for the children, for a daycare, so yes. many things for seniors. We could have done so much with it, mm-hmm. except now we get a few parking spots and a little bit of greenery. Isn't there a song about uh, put up a parking lot? Anyways, we won't go there, but uh, <laughs> we, we're going to lose the Centennial Community Center. I believe it's shutting down very soon, and it'll be the wrecking ball will be coming in. And I'm assuming, Elton Minas, that all of the materials will be going to the landfill and, and some of it to the recycle depot, but off to the dump it goes. And in its place, as you said, will be a few parking spots and some, some green space. Yes. So uh, the snow summit, uh, about a year ago, we had a, what could only be described as a skiff of snow. I mean, I've seen it snow a lot more than that here in the lower mainland, but that bit of snow that we had around rush hour um, literally paralyzed the city, paralyzed Metro Vancouver. And if you remember, we tried to bring a motion forward to find out what happened, what was the cause and how could we ever prevent that from happening again? We're almost a year away from that incident. Do you know what happened? Can you tell our listeners definitively why we had traffic gridlock and why it took people upwards of 12 hours to get home and it normally takes an hour? Uh, Again, this was a motion that you were trying to bring forward and a concern that you were raising, a very valid concern. Uh, If I remember correctly, there were even some councillors from other municipalities uh, that were heading home and it took them eight, nine, ten or possibly more hours to get home. Um, you know, uh, when the city was absolutely paralyzed and what you were suggesting uh, uh, for a lower mainland, uh, uh, basically a, a form of the summit, form, yeah. um, I think it was a great idea. Uh, and it's not just about the snowstorm or anything. It could have been for other events as well that, affect us uh, in the lower mainland but uh, it was a great way to uh, get everybody involved within the metro vancouver area and of course yes it was uh tell me what the vote tell me what the vote was please (laughs) it was was it five to two i believe you're very correct it was five to two yes and i think we were possibly even laughed at I think so. And I will say that uh, we still don't know what happened with that snow uh, in terms of how it impacted the roads. Uh, I am very inquisitive uh, as an elected official. I want to know when something like this impacts so many hundreds of thousands of people. I think they deserve to know. And, and we're almost a year away from that event and still no answers, at least publicly, publicly to the people who were impacted. Perhaps there's been some reports and reviews internal, in camera, behind the closed doors, but publicly there's nothing and we're no further ahead. So that's it for the Snow Summit. Councillor Minhas, we also uh, in the last year raised the issue of downloaded costs where federal and provincial governments keep downloading these costs onto municipalities. And and, uh, we brought forward an idea to kind of expose some of that. Remind our listeners what we did. Yeah, uh, 
we brought the uh, the, the motion forward uh, for the downloading, and it is in my mind uh, just it's very hard to understand and believe that the city, a small city like New Westminster, is taking so much of the burden that is not a responsibility of our uh, of our city. It should be a provincial or a federal matter, and to spend money. Um, a very valuable tax dollars for the residents and increase their uh, tax rates higher and higher year after year. It just doesn't make sense to me that we can be spending so much money on on these projects and yet uh, uh, we get nothing in return. And let's bring this home for people so people can understand what we're talking about um, because we know that in the city the size of New Westminster, 80,000 people, we know we're facing things like homelessness and drug addiction and we're facing issues of lack of supports for mental health, um, all those things. Those are all provincial uh, things. Uh, yet the city is required, uh, being required to take on those costs. But one specific thing that we raised was this, we called the $600,000 toilet, which will cost, I believe, roughly about $32,000 a month to service that. And we just found out that there's now going to be a truck purchased or some kind of a vehicle purchase to actually Clean the, I mean, go, the, the costs go on and on. But these are downloaded costs that should be paid for by the provincial or federal governments. So um, has the toilet been installed, the public toilet yet? Is it there? Uh, no, it hasn't been installed yet. And, um, and, and you're absolutely right about the downloading cost figures. They just keep adding and adding and adding. But we, do we know yet, though, Councillor Mendes? Has there been a report back? council yet at this stage in terms of how much we're paying, how much city taxpayers are paying for programs that should be paid for by the federal government. Uh, we don't have the exact cost figures because just when we thought we had a cost figure of $600,000 for the toilet, then uh, to maintain it, uh, we received another 32000 And now we got another cost figure for the truck. Uh, there'll be uh, employees that will be uh, employed. And the cost figure keeps getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much more money are we as a city going to pay for this? On one hand, the provincial government wants us to, uh, or, uh, you know, take the responsibility of addressing certain issues that, um, that they should be paying for. And yet we as a city now are left to take care of that cost figure. And in my opinion, I think it's uh, this downloading cost figure uh, is not the right uh, way to go go forward, uh, it should be covered by the provincial government. Absolutely agree. And hopefully that report on the downloading costs will come forward soon. And then all the public can see exactly how much we're paying for at the city of New Westminster for programs that should be paid for by the federal and provincial government. Councillor Minas, I'm, I'm going back into the memory clock here, but another incident that happened over the last year was I remember uh, very distinctly a phone call that you made to me in relation to something that has been very topical at City Council, and that is the Samson 5, and that is a museum that the city owns on the city's waterfront. It's located right across from the former Paddlewheeler pub, which, as some of our listeners may know, is now closed and another business gone under, and let's leave that for another day, another podcast. But that um, boat, uh, particular that museum, we had tried for a number of times to make some city investments to fix it up. We know that it's covered in pigeon um, feces. Um, the, the place looks 
from the outside and even in many respects on the inside in really horrible shape. And I just remember um, we had all those debates about making an investment in that boat, bringing it up, putting it in a dry dock, protecting it. And then I got a call from you. Tell me about that call. Yeah, we had an oil spill from the boat, uh, from, the, from the bilge. And uh, basically it had spilled. I believe there was a strong current where the boat shifted uh, at an angle and the oil spilled into the water. And uh, there was quite a bit of oil, and um, uh, that's when I phoned you. Um, of course, uh, I phoned the city, and uh, but the police were already there, and the fire truck had just left when I was coming in. So you were you were literally there just as this was taking place. Yeah, that's right. And um, and I had received a phone call from one of the concerned uh, residents uh, that was sitting at the Battle Wheeler Pub, and that's when I phoned you and I mentioned it to you as to what was going on. And uh, it's a travesty to see a great piece of history uh, just rotting away um, at a prime location mm -hmm. on a waterfront. Uh, this uh, and the impact to our biodiversity, the water, right. uh, the fish. Uh, I mean, it's, it, I must say, I think I told you this, and I, I hope you recall this. But I said to you in that call, how ironic that only a few weeks ago we spent—I can't remember all the time we spent at council debating a motion about opposing the TMX pipeline and concern about oil spilling into the Fraser River with the TMX pipeline. And I think I said to you, how ironic, ironic. if we could have only spent that time talking about removing and, and perhaps investing in the Samson 5 and taking it out of the water, it would have prevented that oil yeah. spill. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, it, it, uh, it is very ironic, uh, the fact of the matter that it wasn't an oil spill from a big company, um, the TMX or uh, somebody else, but our own uh, museum, uh, the uh, you know uh, the Samson Five and and uh, uh, we should be doing a much better job as elected officials uh, to take care of this. It's a piece of history and we need to preserve it. We need to take it out of the water uh, and get it fixed and and uh, uh, put it in a museum. Councillor Minhas, shifting gears to something a bit more lighthearted, uh, we moved a bunch of motions over the last year to have fun too. Like it wasn't just all serious issues around oil spills or Royal City moniker or the train whistles. We also brought a motion forward that said, it's time to party. And we said that, you know, coming out of COVID, that we would look at for at least a couple of years, eliminating the block party fees, which I believe were like 30 or $40, a nominal amount of fees which I believe garnered the city about $1,500 or so over the year. So you and I moved a motion, and this time it was not 5-2, but I'm going to let you, I'm gonna let you um, speak to it. But we moved the motion to remove the block party fees. Now, please tell me, this went well and that everyone was partying on the streets in Westminster this summer. Well, it went really well. Uh, we got this passed, but the only problem with this was the fact that there was a lot of other layers of bureaucracy. And um, it didn't go exactly the way we had planned. And as far as having a party, I'm well aware of having parties and, and creating parties. Um, uh, that's my background. But at the same token, uh, I wish uh, the people had a chance to enjoy this motion in their local neighborhoods. Well, tell, uh, tell our listeners, in case they're not aware, so what would the motion have done? It, it was passed, by the way. Right? It was passed. It was passed. Yes. I believe it was passed. Yeah, it was passed. So 
it was passed in a nonpartisan way. This was That's not right. a partisan. So the motion was to remove the small fee and that uh, citizens would be entitled to, I believe, one, one free block party. So was there a hiccup? <laughs> there was a hiccup. Uh, you're absolutely right about the fact it was only about $40 or so. Um, but the fact of the matter that uh, we needed special, or the people needed special insurance. Um, and how much would that insurance uh, cost? Or what uh, the cost, I believe, was somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 or so. Excuse me? Um, something like that, yeah. Not the exact number, but uh, it could have been a little bit higher or a little bit, a little bit lower, but around that neighborhood. And that's and a lot that, of... So was that new then? So, so, so once the fees were removed for the block parties, then uh, residents who had been hosting block parties for years were now told that they had to take out that's uh, right. a very costly insurance plan. That's right. It was an insurance plan and uh, it was a costly one. Never did they before pay for something like that. And all of a sudden, um, as soon as this got approved, now they got to pay um, $500, $600, mm -hmm. whatever the amount was to just host a block party. Now, a lot of people, uh, I mean, when you're spending $40 and you're not worried about it, and now all of a sudden you got to pay five, $600, it just doesn't make sense. So nobody was really having those parties, uh, well, block parties. Well, Councilor Minas, I think I did say it in the council chamber, there was almost um, a feeling of underground block parties. And I don't like hearing that, but there were a lot of people that said, I'm simply not paying this this three, four, five hundred dollar insurance fee when we've been having a block party in our community for for literally for decades. And 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 thanks to staff, it has been unfortunately not in time for this summer, for the summer of 2023 that just passed. But looks like there is going to now be some kind of a resolution to this, that there'll be some kind of a, a centralized insurance plan or something that the city. So hopefully we'll have news about that next year. But here's something that, you know, it's a good example of when you try, even when you have full support of council, it's a good initiative, it can sometimes go go off the rails. And uh, we heard from the citizens, but because of their voice, because of their emails, because of their calls, uh, things got changed and it looks like it'll be better next year. I'm glad the people spoke up about it and hopefully it'll be rectified very soon. And the staff uh, um, will uh, mend everything that needs to be mended. And this uh, uh, continuation of the block parties will carry on and uh, a great way where the people in the neighborhood will know each other um, and this is a great thing I think. Councillor Mintas, um, the block parties weren't the only parties that we were talking about. We had one mother of a party that we're hoping to plan for. And there you go. Another motion, I believe, that got unanimous support from council. And that was to ask the province of British Columbia, TransLink, all the folks who operate or have some say over the Portman, sorry, the Petula Bridge, uh, the new one and the old one, to look at hosting a party to uh, recognize that bridge for its contribution to our economy, to our, our culture. That bridge is so iconic in the city of New Westminster. And what happened with that motion? Oh, it got passed uh, unanimously. Um, and this was a great motion brought forward by you. Um, you're absolutely right about the fact that how iconic this bridge is uh, to so many people mm -hmm. of so many different backgrounds, uh, to the surrounding neighboring municipalities as well and uh so what's the plan what's so what 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 would be your vision for uh, a patolo party next year oh you know uh, a little bit of live music uh 
have some fireworks uh, in the river. Um, you know, uh, just get the community involved, get the city involved, something to celebrate. We haven't, coming out of COVID, we haven't had a good party. And I think this would be a great way to start next year. Hopefully, as soon as the new bridge is open, we can have a great party. And uh, I'm really, really hoping that the province uh, can throw one hell of a party where so many people, it means so much as far as the Petula Bridge is concerned. The good thing we can report on this is the province has written back to uh, Mayor and Council and has indicated that there, there is an interest there and that there looks like they're going to strike some kind of a committee. I do hope that there is going to be the opportunity for the public, as you said, to weigh in on some ideas because I've loved seeing the emails from the public since this went uh, out into the community. Uh, people offering up uh, uh, toll tickets from 50, 60 years ago. All kinds of ideas. All kinds of great ideas and great suggestions. And so I'm hoping and I'll continue to advocate, as I know you will, to make sure that the public is involved in this party in a way that we've never seen before. Very true. I think uh, the public has a lot of great ideas. And it's, again, very, very important to listen to the people, the neighborhood, uh, you know, in this case around the Petula Bridge. And I think we'll uh, come up with one hell of a party. Councillor Minhas, speaking of public input, um, cities traditionally have lots of standing committees and committees that they use to get public input on a wide variety of topics on everything from seniors to youth to transportation, etc. The city of New Westminster is attempting something completely new, and that's called the Citizens' Assembly, which my understanding is they're going to gather and select about 35 or 36 people. Those people will be selected to sit on the Citizens' Assembly. They are going to have to filter now on a wide range of, of committee topics that used to be done by separate committees are all going to go into this like larger mother of all kind of committees. What's your thought on that in terms of how uh, practical? Did you, first of all, did you support and did you vote for that? Uh, no, I did not support for this. And um, I think even trying to get a few people uh, on council uh, to be on the same page can be difficult. Just imagine the challenges that will be there trying to have 35, 36 people coming to consensus with something. Um, this is uh, almost feels like the upper Senate and the lower Senate. And I think uh, it's not the right way to move forward. It's definitely a unique model. Uh, I didn't support it either. I, I, I voted against it. And primarily because I, we've, so we're, we're one, we're taught, this is the one year anniversary podcast. So we're talking about the last year. We have literally seen almost minimal level of activity in our, in our uh, standing committees, in our uh, advisory committees to council for almost a year. And now we're talking about this new pilot project on the citizens assembly, which we're told is a pilot. So it could actually fail. And we'll only know that a year from now. And then if we end up having to go back to the previous model, it'll almost be in the third year of this mandate before we're able to effectively have a committee structure to get public input. That was my concern is, um, you know, do you really, this seems to me like a solution looking for a problem. Like we're trying to fix something that perhaps isn't broken. What's your thoughts? You're absolutely right. Uh, there's an old saying, if something is not broken, don't fix it. And in this case, um, reinventing the wheel doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to make it any better. And I think uh, you're absolutely right about the timeline. By the time it's all said and done, and of course, we will have spent some valuable resources in time 
as well as money. And this is only possibly going to go back to the old system again. Um, there's a possibility of that. Um, but having said that, I think we will have lost a lot of valuable time that we could have used and input, and input from the citizens of these committees um, where we could have moved forward a lot faster, a lot easier. Last topic for this one year anniversary, and, and as you know, Councilman, as we have skipped about 35 topics that we could have talked about, a number of really interesting debates and discussions that took place. But I'm going to end it on this one because, you know, we work for the citizens. We are employed by the taxpayers of New Westminster. And one of the things that did surprise me is that after only a few weeks on the job, they gave you and I a 7% uh, pay hike on January 1st of uh, 2023. So, did you support that pay hike? Uh, we never. I never had the opportunity uh, to even uh, uh, say if I wanted it or not. Um, actually, if I had my way, and I think I had talked to you about it, uh, I would have liked to donate that money to a charity. But absolutely, uh, no, uh, I did not have an opportunity um, to even uh, have my say in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, and I know that it is always a challenge to be setting elected officials' salaries. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, you know, diminish the, the complexity of having elected officials deciding on their own salaries. Um, 7% was, uh, I think, in line with inflation, but uh, in a very large number uh, to swallow. I, I can say personally that I've made every attempt I can to make additional contributions, as I know have you, to local charities and to, to, um, to community events to try to, to pass that along to, to support uh, worthwhile causes within the city of New Westminster. But there, there is something fundamentally flawed when um, you've only been on the job for six weeks, as we were as elected officials, and then get an automatic pay hike of 7%. 7%, yes. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, I was very uncomfortable with it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, uh, like you said, uh, did not have a, a say in it. And it's uh, fundamentally wrong in the sense how the process works. I think uh, there needs to be a bigger discussion and a conversation about it. Councilman Hess, thank you so much for thank being you, Daniel. My, my first official guest on For the Record. I'm Daniel Fontaine. This is For the Record. And we will be back soon with more podcasts with some interesting guests and uh, sometimes it may just be me kind of pontificating on the topic of the day but i do want to sincerely thank you councillor Mines, and thank you on behalf of all the citizens in new westminster you raised some incredible points you've put in a lot of uh, hours uh, not only for all the charitable work and volunteer work you do but also at council so so thank you so much thank you daniel for having me i appreciate it very much i'm looking forward to uh talking about other topics and you know, with any good podcast, there's the fine print. And I think uh, we're obliged to advise our listeners that we are speaking on our own behalf. We are not speaking on behalf of the entire council. That is left for the entire council to do. So these uh, opinions that we expressed in today's podcast were very much our own. And uh, we are, the last time I checked, in the democratic society where we still are, at least for now, entitled to have our own opinions. I'm Daniel Fontaine. You've been listening to For the Record. And until next time... See you soon.